1: We are learning what it means to walk in the Spirit, and what that looks like and why. It's all straight ahead here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. I'm unable to swim, and you pull me out of a lake or a river just before I drown. My desire to do kindness to you is not going to be for the purpose of garnering your friendship, but rather as a way of saying thanks for what that friendship really means. The same is true when it comes to our walk and relationship with Christ. We walk in the Spirit not as a duty and not out of obedience to obtain something, but rather to express gratitude and thanks. As we're learning... Here today on Truth For Today, that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. With more, here's Pastor Phil Howard.
2: God is the one that dictates what we get to do. I'm living with a person. I'm not living with the law of Moses. He lives in. That's the Christian life. Uh, Some things I just mentioned here. The Spirit has sealed you in Christ, and the word He used for sealing you, and I give you the verses... He uses it also of an earnest. You have the Spirit as a down payment that God's going to complete what He's begun in you, and you're going to get all your salvation. How many of you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay, some of you are nervous. The hands were shaking. Okay. Well, old-time Pentecostals say you wouldn't have the baptism unless you talked in tongues. And some of you might be tongue talkers. Help yourself. Just don't do it during the service. But I was taught you didn't, you had to have certain gifts to prove you really had the spirit. But he said in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, the Holy Spirit baptized, and it wasn't water, was a spirit immersion right into Jesus Christ. And so I've been baptized by the spirit, but he baptized me into the body of Christ. How many are a member of the body of Christ? Who put you in it? Spirit. He baptized you into the body of Christ. So every member of the body of Christ has had the Spirit take and immerse you into Christ. And you didn't even know it had he not written 1 Corinthians 12. Because you didn't feel, ooh, I just hit. No, you didn't feel it. It's just a fact, though. You've been immersed into Christ. Uh, He goes on to say, in verse 16 here, he wants the people to walk by the Spirit. He's going to tell them in verse 18... You're to be led by the Spirit. You are to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, He's going to say, live by the Spirit in verse 25. And then he's going to tell us to keep in step with the Spirit. And we'll explain that more. But look at all of this Spirit talk. Walk in the Spirit. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. I mean, we are spirit people, the Spirit of God. We've been placed right in the middle, as it were, of the divine person, the Holy Spirit. Did you know it cost Christ his life for you to have the Holy Spirit? He kept saying in John 14 through 16, Unless I go away, unless I go back to my Father by way of the cross, you will not get the promise of the Spirit, the Comforter that will come. It took the death of the second person of the Godhead in order to bring you the gift of the Spirit. And he says, hold out. I will show you that I will give you a gift to get you through these 1900 years. It will be the indwelling work of the Spirit that will do so many things in your life. He didn't leave us without comfort. He said, I won't leave you like orphans. And his representative is the Holy Spirit. And isn't it terrible if branches of Christianity develop stepchildren to the Spirit? Well, you don't have it like we do, or you don't have it like... If you are God's child, you are a Spirit person. You're in the Holy Spirit you are indwelt, you are sealed, you've been immersed by him, you're told to be filled with him, you're to walk in him, live in him, be led by him, bear his fruit, keep in step with him. We are people of the Spirit. You've got to know that. The Old Testament, when they often made sacrifice, they shed the blood and then they poured oil and sometimes water on the sacrifice. I often think that's what happened at the cross, the sacrifice was made. On the day of Pentecost, he poured out the oil on it. And he poured out his spirit in an upper room and 120 people. Now, you know what? You're surrounded by the spirit of God. Do you think there's enough resources to live for God? Do you, you, maybe you need a rule book to live this. No, you need a person to... You know, you can't really live the Christian life with a set of rules. you got to have a divine person teach you. He's got to lead you by the hand. He's got to teach you to walk with him. He's got to teach... It is a divine tutorship of his own children. And he's a great teacher. He, de- he takes dumb clocks and teaches us how to live for him. From every background. From every, every personality bit. I just read a, uh, about a, a book a guy wrote the other day, and the name of it is Everybody is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. D- did you know you're abnormal? Ask your wife when you're not in the room. You get some weird habits, weird thinking. Please don't ask my wife a thing about this, because we are opposites. But everybody's got, you know, good night. You start critiquing me. And I always find people the best at critiquing are the worst at taking criticism. They got everybody figured out, but don't dare figure them out. Because they are normal. You just don't know them. Nobody's quite normal. Everybody comes with a different set of backgrounds, hang ups, viewpoints. And the Spirit of God did you know what He's been teaching people 1900 years how to live for Christ? how to do it God's way. Now, the Christian life, I wish it was more than just the Spirit, but there is a, a hangover you bring into the Christian life, and what hangs over is some kin folks you wish you could have kicked out. But they're like bad kin folks; It seemed they want to stay the longest. The good ones go home too early. And when you came into Christ and in the Spirit... An old relative decided to hang out, and it's called the flesh. And he's still living in that house where the temple wants to to be run by the Spirit. But there's a bad relative in there, the flesh. And look at these notes. I want to give you some technical definition. You uh, have a battle if you're a believer with the flesh. If you're not a believer, you don't have a battle. You feel at home with the flesh. It dictates the way you think. The way you walk, uh, and you feel comfortable because you only know one realm. But if you're a believer, you know how you used to think, how you used to walk, how you used to feel, and you come over in this new life and you think, man I thought all of that stuff passed forever. I thought I got rid of all that. Well we all wish we had And let me read some things here to you. The flesh. Notice verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires. And King James says, of the flesh. And that's correct. But NIV translation has called it the sinful nature. Let me give you a definition. The flesh defined. It's not talking about meat on bones. The The body is not evil. Remember that. That's why sex is not evil. That's why medicine and helping the body. See, the Gnostics, they were dualists. They said anything to do with the body was evil. God says the body is not evil. Not at all. It was wonderfully made by the Creator. But the Greek Gnostics, especially the dualists, said matter is evil. And so we can't appreciate humanity. My very body's evil. So when Paul uses the word flesh, he's not talking about meat on the bones. What? It's an ethical principle. Instead of being meat on the bones, Paul uses this word to describe mankind as a fallen being whose desires, even at best, originate from sin and are stained by it. It refers to the evil mankind is capable of apart from divine intervention in our lives. When you look at the list of the works of the flesh, you say, well, I I would never kill. You're capable. We all are bred in a certain category of favorite flesh sins. Maybe sexual, drinking, drugs, uh, you, you're bred on. Uh, some families have a long history of uh, grudge bearers and bitterness, and uh, uh, never settle anything. The the fights are always on. They're just fallouts of this sin principle, and so we give you some synonyms you'll hear in biblical literature. Old nature, the old nature still in you, okay? Sin. Romans one calls it the sin. Uh, Philip's translation calls it the lower nature. Some call it animal nature. I don't like that because we're not animals. The sin principle that operates in human beings seems to be a workable definition. We have, though I'm in the Spirit, though I'm in Christ, I brought into this a hangover from my old life. So I have the residue I have the residue of the sin principle in me. It's said not to reign over me as a believer, but it does reside in me. Not to reign over me, Romans 6. Sin shall not reign over you, but it does reside in me. So my greatest enemy in the Christian life, is it the devil or is it me? If there were no devil, would you ever be tempted to be immoral? You would. How many would just put put your little finger if you think you would? Some of you can't imagine it. You know. If there were no devil, do people sin during the thousand-year reign of Christ? Do they rebel against Christ? So if there's no devil around, and that's where some of you need to get over this Flip Wilson theology, the devil made me do it. No, you did that. And look at Matthew 15 sometimes. Out of the heart of man come evil imaginations, murders, uh, immoralities, envy, yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad just what we come up with, with no satanic help. And so, we bring this over, and so let's say some things here. Believers are not in the flesh as to our status we are seen in Christ but we brought within our being the flesh we have a sin principle within but our status is we are spirit people we are in the sphere of the spirit our status is not in the flesh this is theological it's it's meant to be I've got to teach you I've got to lay it out before you if we had time, we'd have question and answer. That's what I'd love. Uh, believers do have the sin principle in them. And how many of you would say amen? It's weak, but Romans 7 says, We've got an ongoing battle that when I would do good, evil is always present. For in my body dwells no good thing. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about in my innate makeup, in my innate human nature, there are no virtues that make me acceptable to God. I've got something in me that's not right. I I need divine power to deal with it. Uh, Because it it wants to jump on me like sin wanted to jump on Cain and kill him. Uh, Believers have been freed from slavery to the flesh or sin within. He goes on to say believers are now servants of righteousness and not of sin in Romans 6. I think something interesting to see how the flesh works on you. Uh, And he uses three words to describe it. It's the word in verse 16, desires. And that would be the word strong desires. King James translated it lust. Lust always makes us think of sexual passion. It was used that way, but it was a much broader word. Any strong desire to get something to go beyond God's will for us. That's the idea. Strong desires opposed to the spirit opposed to the will of God. We have desires that come up in us. Strong desires that the fle- come right from the flesh. And he says, we have to know those. And then he goes down in verse 24. He describes another thing next to desires, and that is the word passions. And, and once again, that sounds like a highly loaded sexual term. Uh, but let me give you a little word study here. Uh, this word for passions was used of the passion or suffering of Christ. It was used of the suffering of saints. And, but he's not talking that we have passions about suffering. No. Let me give you the, a Greek lexical look at it. This word, uh, when used of the flesh, has the idea of mood. You see there? And this is from Kittel's lexicon. You can look it up. There's the idea of mood, spiritual state. Some say affectation, how I am affected, Uh, emotional, spiritual state. And so you'd get ideas like to be in the mood. Can the flesh, does the flesh have certain favorite moods it likes to get you into? to be affected by something something happens and i give a greek meaning being swept into a feeling against someone that's pathema and so the flesh has negative moods and mindsets what's your personality type phlegmatic sanguine what you know it's something Do you think the flesh knows how? Let me show you how it does. It has strong desires. It works with passions or mood states, emotional states. And then we all know that it breaks out in concrete deeds. And he's going to tell us that 19 through 21. How it acts. Idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, on and on. We know the deed. But a lot of times you may wake up and feel, I am in a grouchy mood today. It's like that woman went down to have breakfast one morning and says, well, did you wake up grouchy? She said, no, I let him sleep in. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's been days I've awakened and said, the only way I am going to live the Christian life today is stay in bed. Because you you know you wake up cranky. And she hasn't done a thing. Nor the kids. I can't blame the kids anymore. I threw them all out. No, they all got married. Got rid of the dog, thank the Lord. So I've got fewer things to blame for my moods. Moods. And and Carol, she'll say, uh, boy, what's wrong with you today? "What? What do you mean? Just like, what what do you you insinuate in any way? I'm the man of God around here. You're not here, honey. You're just a long-time house guest. (laughs) 42 years. Moods are tricky. Did you know what moods will lead you to? They'll lead you to drugs. They'll lead you to a good bar. They'll lead you to a drinking habit. They'll lead you to depression. Uh, they'll lead you to all kinds of things, and you'll just say, "Wow, I, I'm in the mood." And that's what we sing, "I'm in the mood for love." You know, you're saying, "Honey, when she knows when you upgrade the restaurant from McDonald's, you're in the mood." <laughs> and these women know. Says so something's on your mind because you tell, "Well, honey, I'm just so thrilled about. It. I just want to set a mood." Say well, you've been cranky for a month. You think one dinner is going to change it? You're hoping. It's moods. Uh, Do do you ever, let's say, uh, think I'm going to go to a restaurant that has a certain mood, certain ambiance, we certain music, mood music? Uh, I'm saying what I. you, You already know. I mean, sometimes I just want to play. I'm sorry, a blues album. I just don't want to hear a hymn that day. I like to hear a little wailing. And something in a minor. Because maybe I'm in that mood. Now what I might really need that day is a good hymn. To change my mood. And that's where you see Robert Musain, an old Puritan, who used to say this. The first duty of my life every morning is to get myself in a good mood. So probably your beginning part of the day uh, is one of the most important hours. And isn't it tough if you wake up late and you're running late, you can't have devotions, you can't read the Bible, you can't kiss the wife, you're on the run, and you feel the rest of the day you're running. You're running, you're running. You're, running. you're in a hurried state now, Because of the mood. He says the flesh has certain moods. And you know that when you're being set up for temptation, moods will trigger strong desires many times. And strong desires, if not corralled, will result in sinful deeds. You'll do the deed. And you'll have great regret. Well, we're going to be looking at how the Christian is to live with this flesh within And over and over, God's cure and control of the flesh is walk in reliance on the Spirit. Know that you've been identified with Christ so that the flesh and its moods have already been judged and crucified, he says in verse 24. It's been done in God's mind. Now my daily walk, I have to act on it, mortify the deeds of my body, mortify my wrong thinking, mortify my wrong moods and not be controlled by my moods are you a moody christian we all are set up to be that way i got a melancholic streak in me my wife's not a melancholic thank god because i could be melancholic and i can see his pastor tells me i can see the glass half empty and he's a half full kind of guy well i need a half full guy around to balance me because I could be harder on me, and I could just think we're not doing... I could get myself... We're not doing anything around here. Man, a say I, I shouldn't be... I, wait, wait. Talk to yourself. Come under control. Don't feed your personality bent if it's opposed to the will of God or the emotions of God. Don't listen to your heart. Don't listen to your moods. Walk in the Spirit. Follow the Word of God. Or else you abandoned every project. You're you're your own greatest enemy. You'll talk yourself out of it. Don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to the flesh. Keep in line and we'll be, keep in line with the Spirit. And the Spirit, we know where He's walking. I know at least nine footsteps of the Spirit will be looking at it if it's in the direction of love, faith, hope, goodness kindness. I know I'm at least walking the right way. Keep in step with the Spirit, and we're going to be looking at where He walks. And so you have an idea. God doesn't produce doubt. God doesn't produce all of this down on yourself, down on the promises. Nobody loves me. There's no future. I just read Proverbs 20 this morning. That a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So I could say, Lord, you're in charge of my steps, are you not? Yes, keep in line with my will. I'll get you there. I've got the path.
1: And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. The ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules.